Come on in, guys. Matt Hambich here with Jared Sundin, another episode of Talking Llama. Got a few more seasons to go over tonight. But first, Jared, we got some production rumors here. Um, Inside Survivor, Martin Holmes, usually pretty good with this stuff, is reporting that at least the next season, possibly beyond 41, will be less than 39 days. Rumor is maybe 29 days and Remains to be officially confirmed, which makes sense. But like I said, Martin Holmes and Inside Survivor, they, they're usually pretty pretty good on this stuff. So in, until I see it officially denied, I'm going to believe it. So 29, a 29-day game, what do you think about that? I'm wondering how much it's going to change as far as mental stamina goes with some of these people. Because one of the things we've talked about is seeing how different people handle the grind of 39 days without food or water or, you know, without a plentiful amount of food or water. Um, and, and some, some of them crack, some of them get stronger as it goes on. So um, I don't know. I think it, it makes it a little less likely that people will uh, start to kind of check out of the game, but uh I don't know. I'm still undecided on, I guess, how it's going to affect production of the show. Um, so, yeah, kind of curious to hear what you think on that, actually. Yeah, I'm obviously you have to hold final the final you know call till we see it, see it in practice. But I'm not thrilled about it. I'm hoping it's a one or two season result from maybe some restrictions on filming given that we're still not quite through the COVID pandemic that in next year or season 43, 44, they can get back to normal. And this isn't a, a planned permanent change, but what I kind of like on the potential that it provides is that you really don't have time to coast. Not that you do in the regular 39 day game, but if it's only going to be 29 days, 27, whatever it ends up being, you've got to be going from day one, from step one on the beach and through day 39, more so than maybe ever before. If you let up, you're going to, you're going to get got. And that's really all, all there is to it. You don't have, there's really no room for error. Like never before. Not, you don't really have room for error. Anyway, you have a little more leeway with more time to figure things out strategy-wise, alliance-wise, but with you know a week or two weeks less in the game, it's really going to impact that part, I think. And then, like you said, the production side. Are they going to take out reward challenges? Are they just not going to show reward challenges? What's the the edit going to be like of camp life? You know, the because the story was saying they're not changing the number of castaways, so they're going to be probably some double boot episodes which could get messy in a 60 minute time slot. So a lot to kind of look ahead to in, in terms of questions and how they're going to do it. But an interesting change. We'll wait to 
see how it plays out. But again, hopefully it's just a one or two season thing. And once we're finally in the clear, hopefully within a year, um, we'll be back to the normal 39 day game that we know. Well, okay, let's just talk about the, the double boot thing quick then. So if they're, they're really just condensing it though, it's not like there's more people They're They're having the same number of episodes, right? Yeah. So there are it, more episodes, but few, I think more episodes, but fewer people or more people in fewer days. So from the game standpoint, yeah, but they so still would only be, I mean, what we might not see is typically they send someone home every three days. Right. So yep. about that, I yeah. mean, let's just say that now they send someone home every two days, but as viewers, we're really not going to know the difference between it's not like we're going to be seeing three people sent home a day to, to try and get through the, you know, to try and cram it all in as, as soon as we can. Yeah. And I guess, I guess that's probably the right way to think about it. I jumped ahead a little bit there, but even still with the edit, then in terms of what they're able to show us, you know, are they going to take two or four days and split that up over two weeks? So there's a lot of downtime in there. And, yeah. And for anyone who watches the international versions, the big thing there is that the episodes are longer. You get more time for the the personal stories, the camp life to breathe a little bit. And they can maybe do that here. But I don't know if it's going maybe too far in the other direction. There's going to be too much dead time to fill. I mean, like you said, they probably got editing tricks and production tricks to to mask it a little bit. They're not going to do this without having a, a full-on game plan over how to do it. But the first couple episodes will probably be pretty telling on how the rest of the season will go from that standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, as long as it's if it's like a one or two season experiment um, and hey, maybe we all maybe we all like it. And, uh, you know, they, they take out some award challenges um, and it's just focused more on immunity and figuring out who's going every episode. Um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that, I don't think. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I'll go in with an open mind. Um, yeah, that's that's what you got to do. And you know, the knee jerk reaction for me is not a fan, but we'll see what we see when you see it. I guess. Yeah, and uh, speaking of uh, experiments, we have some uh, interesting things to talk about uh, with the season tonight. Yes, we yes we do. Not in the first one here, but a couple couple away here. We'll have a few things to talk about it that's that's for sure so we'll get going here we're on our 30th ranked season season 30 worlds apart 2015's season won by 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 mike holloway my 29th ranked season jared's 27th and i'll start i guess because this one has a little bit of a sentimental value to me um like i mentioned if you listen to our little preview episode this was the season that got me back or I guess into Survivor, you know, full on again. You know, I'd watched season one back when it aired. Didn't watch anything at all until a few episodes here and there of San Juan del Sur, season 29. And then Worlds Apart was the first one that I watched full on. And for all its flaws, and there are plenty, I still like it, even though I recognize it's not that great of a season. You know, it's my 29th ranked season out of 40 nothing special there, but you know, if this is the show that got me into survivor, got me into blogging about it, ultimately here podcasting about it. So it's always going to have that special place for me, but 
yeah, there there are some issues, that's for sure. I'll start with the theme. Real dumb theme. I know the theme all, doesn't always come into play, but the white collar, blue collar, no collar, you know, they had to make up a phrase. No one says no collar. White collar, blue collar are real. And it's not, it's, there's no collar. Um, it did, though, um, you know, provide some good characters. You know, Mike really bought into the blue collar work ethic probably more so than anybody. And, you know, Joaquin had some white collar jokes. Oh, well, let's, let's, you know, we're white collar. We'll let the blue, the blue collar people do all the work. So it had some moments, but overall pretty dumb theme. Um, and what are, what are some, some general thoughts for worlds apart for you, Jared? Yeah, I, um, obviously we feel pretty much the same about this, uh, in terms of rankings, at least we're coming at it from a different, uh, different perspective in terms of our survivor viewing experiences but i didn't i didn't love it i i do prefer the more modern seasons just because the gameplay moves a little quicker Mm -hmm. um especially if you got a guy like mike in there that's playing really aggressive and uh kind of having to maneuver his way around some questionable decisions (laughs) earlier in the game but um yeah still it didn't it didn't come together super well for me. And I remember just a lot of like hostility and um, I don't know, like blaming and name calling and just like stuff that we, we really don't need uh, to make a season enjoyable. Yeah. There were some really ugly moments, especially between Will and Shireen. And I know Shireen is kind of a polar polarizing player. Some people love her, some people hate her, but wherever your opinions are on her as a player, you know, Will definitely crossed the line when he was, you know, yelling at her back at camp. And it started off where, okay, this is just a heated argument. And then we talked about, you've got no one back home that loves you and all of that stuff. It was, it was too much. And then he kind of stood by it, didn't really back down on it. And, you know, whether that was just pride and wanted to he was wrong or he was actually doubling down on it, not a good look, however you, however you slice it. But, you know, there were some, some comments from Dan who, when I was rewatching it in his introduction in the first, you know, first episode, he what, intentionally he, lost his underwear. There's that too. He he did say, <laughs> we'll come back to that in a second. He goes, one way or another, you will not forget me. And it's, well, it was one way or another. Don't think it's the way you wanted it to be done, but you, you are remembered. That's for sure. Dan, you got that. He part. was right. Dan Foley was right. Yes. Not about a lot in that, in that game, but he nailed that one. Um, I know we, I know we were talking before, we don't have a lot to say on this one, but a, a few things, um, to go over before we get into second chance, second chance, um, players here. So if, a couple big moments, it starts off with the, the honesty versus deceit. You got the choice with the, with the food, you know, and they take different amounts there. What in not necessarily the specific one, but in that kind of, you know, as the Australian survivor calls it moral dilemma, they do that a lot in that kind of situation. What's your general mindset? If you go into that with a partner? What do you think, whether personally or just what a player should do, do you think? Uh, man, if, if there's a partner involved, I'd probably go honesty. Uh, just, just because you don't know what's going to come out, especially if it's early on and you don't really know them that well. If I'm by myself and it's an individual decision, I think it's kind of a no-win anyway, where no matter what you say, people are probably not going to believe you. So I'd be more willing to take a risk there, but, um, yeah, it's, and honestly, a lot of it would probably depend on 
the person I was with and what they wanted to do. I'm not going to put up a huge fight either way. Yep. Yeah. And especially in, you know, today's game, if you come back from some mysterious outing with, with anything, people are going to, are going to be suspicious. Yeah. So it's, it's really tough. You just take the clue or the advantage, whatever might be there waiting for you because you know, people are going to assume you have an, a clue or an advantage. You might as well have it if they think you have it or do you do the thing that's best for the tribe and hope that you can convince them otherwise? Um, it's it's funny you mentioned the the individual versus you know partner thing because in Australian Survivor they do it where it's solo and then it's kind of up to them to kind of use it how they want and it it ends up being really fun and really effective. So I I would like them to maybe go, go back to this, not every season for sure, but you know once in a while and mix it up. Maybe it's in the middle of the game someone finds. You know, kind of like kind of like Will did actually at, at the auction. If you remember, he bought himself out, but then he got like that that chest of food, and it was yeah. up to him whether to save it for himself or bring it to the tribe. And then they still didn't believe that that he showed them everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that that validates me, so I feel good now. There but go. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I, yeah, I think a lot of it would just depend on not not drawing attention to myself. Um, but yeah, yeah I think, uh, I think the smartest thing is if you can avoid it, don't be in that position. If it's yeah. a volunteer thing, keep your hand down. If it's draw a rock, then, you know, you get what you get, I guess. Yeah. But speaking of the auction, this is kind of the, one of the signature moments of the show. Yes, um, it is. So this is one of the things that kind of, you know, quote unquote broke the auction is once players realized that there was going to be, an advantage or an idol or a clue to an idol, something to help them in the game. Some of the more savvy players, or maybe in Mike's case, maybe felt they were a little on the outs. They just hoard their money. They're not going to spend it on food until that item comes up. They're going to bid all their money and either get it or they'll, you know, fight someone and do draw straws, whatever it might be. So Mike, this, it, obviously he won the game. So it ended up working out okay for him, but, they bring out the, the letters from home or Jeff got the letters from home. And what he typically does is whatever the winning bid is for letters, he'll let anybody else pay that same price for the letters. So I can't remember who it is. Someone, someone bids 20 bucks. And then, but, but Carolyn and Dan are kind of wary of Mike, if he's going to do it or not, because they want it, but they have the, all their money as well. And Mike assures them, assures them that he's, that he's going to do it. he, you know, Dan kind of questions him and, and Mike, you know, shoves him forward. He goes, Oh, why would it not do it now? As he lets Dan and Carolyn go ahead, they both buy it. And then Mike turns around to walk back to the bench. Dan, Dan kind of loses it for a little bit. Carolyn tries to return her letter. We'll get into that in a second too. And then Mike goes up and buys it. I think once you commit to it, the deed is done. Whether or not you follow through, at least I think, if you're going to even consider it to the point that he did, you've just got to stick with it then. Yeah. If you do what he did, you get caught and, and you don't have an advantage. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. You've got the bad blood, no matter what, at that point, you, you've got to just eat it, eat it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely one thing I remember from this season. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not, obviously we've, we've already covered this. I'm not, a huge fan of it. So I haven't spent a ton of time 
you know, going back, analyzing decisions, challenges, all that stuff. But um, yeah, definitely one of the defining moments uh, for me. Um, I don't know if you have any other ones you want to talk about, but well, just quickly with that, when Carolyn tries to return hers, I don't think she should be able to Jeff let her return it after she'd paid for it. I think True. that's the, I think that's the risk you take. Yeah. Yeah. I think no, w- I, once, once the money leaves your hand and you have whatever it is you bought transaction done, no, no refund at the survivor auction. Yeah. Agreed. I, yeah, I got no problems with that. Uh, you know, I guess it's, you run the risk of if you're the first one that goes up, then, you know, too bad if you got tricked. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the risk you take, but, um, obviously that's the, that's the big moment real quick. We'll touch on this real quick. Rodney and his birthday. That was one of the ones that I was going to mention because yeah, he's what 24 when he, when he's on the show, once you leave college, your birthday does not matter. To, to some. I mean, I mean, if you, if you, it's an excuse to get together with friends, have a party, go to dinner, whatever it might be. But if he's using it, like Cochran used it in Caramon, which, which we'll get to later on, because I haven't to it, obviously. And it wasn't even his birthday. He used it and got a reward out of it. Awesome. If that's what Ronnie was trying to do, give it a shot. If no one goes for it, let it go. And he just kept beating the drum on this, complaining, complaining, complaining. And yeah, maybe there's more that went on behind the scenes that we didn't see that maybe people did explicitly promise him for his birthday. But either way, man, it's your birthday. You're on Survivor. You're at the merge, you're in the final eight or whatever it was at that point. He's got, he's got to let that go. Yeah. I, I love that. He just, for the, <laughs> the majority of the season really just did not seem to be having any fun <laughs> at all. No, no, he did not. So you got, I mean, it's your birthday. And like you said, you, you just, even on your birthday, when you're on survivor, you just let it get to you worlds out to get me. And uh, I think that's a good, good summation for Rodney. Now, here's the thing, though, because the birthdays come up before. Do you think production tells people when their birthday is? Because if I'm out there, I don't know that I'm counting days and I recognize that it's my birthday. Uh, I mean, maybe if it never comes up, they'll tell you. But I feel like you're so bored that, like, how would you not know what day it is? Like you just—that's what, what else is before, there to think cause, about? Cause they think about because you'll you'll hear from time to time people people mention specific events or even general timelines that I just never thought about that. That my mind would be so on the game, or you're so disconnected from everything else that you wouldn't even think about. Oh, today's Wednesday, June fifth, or whatever it might be. But obviously, you know, never been out there, so can't say for sure. But that's that was always one thing that gets to me, or not gets to me, but that that I always kind of catch is, is how in tune people are with the actual like real dates of everything. But yeah. Okay. So second chance players for me, Mike, obviously I think he was, I think he's a great character. He's a winner. Hasn't played again. Would have come back for second chance. Had he not won, he was in the top 10 for the men. Um, But obviously since he won, it was, it was irrelevant. Um, I'd say mama C of course she's fantastic. I would take Tyler again. I would like to see so, you know, I think she kind of got the short shrift, you know, with walk at right at the beginning. I think she kind of flashed some potential as much as you can, I guess, for, for her first boot. Jen, 
I, I like Jen a lot more on this on the rewatch. She's got she got a great quote of this would suck less if the people sucked less. And <laughs> and her her um her confessionals were were really good. And then lastly, another early boot. I'm gonna say Vince. And I've got a clip here. Hopefully this will work. And this just kind of embodies like this is the energy I need for my early boots. As a, a coconut vendor, I seek truth. I'm a seer of real. I'm a co- as a coconut vendor, I seek truth. I'm a seer of real. I mean, absolutely. I I want my early boots to have that weird out there energy. He, he got he got a little possessive, I guess, with with Jen and Haley. But if you're dropping quotes like that, your profession is a coconut vendor. Give me those players every season, one or two. They're not going to last long. He's like a coach, a coach light. He doesn't quite have the the strategic chops to to get far into the game, but he's got the kookiness that I just love. Give me some more Vince. Severely lacking the life experience, though, you know, <laughs> especially in a canoe. This is true. But yeah, I, I've, uh, I've spent the better part of my life selling oranges. So I, I more, I seek the lies out, <laughs> but you know, big orange I, coconut rivalry. It's real. Yeah. I admire Vince though. All right, who I'll would, go. Who uh, yeah. A few, a few people for me. Um, I, I do want to see Mike back. Um, admittedly not my favorite style of player. Um, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of the people that paint themselves into a corner with some of the decisions that they make <laughs> and are pretty much just forced to win immunity or idols for the rest of the game, Ben. Um, but, you know, I <laughs> like I, I don't know. It's I guess every once in a while it's OK to have to watch. But I mean, I I, I don't I'm, I get that. Yeah, um, wouldn't be at the top of my list, but um, yeah, I, I put him and Ben in the same kind of the same category there. Um, and Ben Ben was interesting a second time back, so maybe that could work out. But uh, yeah, debt for sure, Carolyn, a huge fan of hers. I I thought she was just such a boss, um, and I I would love to see her play again. Um, Let's see. Not I. I'm, I could go either way on Tyler. Um, Jen, absolutely. Uh, I think she's great. I wonder if she would want to come back again because she seemed to not care uh, at all <laughs> about the game. But um, if she wanted to come back, definitely. And um, yeah, I. I do think for for one of the first boots, I think that so was. Uh, there, there was definitely something there that you could go back to for another season. But uh, how about Max? What do you think of Max? I could, I could take or leave Max. Okay. Yeah. He's I, I mean, I one of those. Necessarily complain if he came back, but I wouldn't be, you know, jumping for joy and celebrating if, if he came back. Yeah. He's one of those alleged super fans that, like when you see them play the game seems to really have like a horrible understanding of how to win. So, well, a lot of, a lot of super fans, Jacob Derwin, for example, yeah, they, they get so like, they're almost too much of a super fan. Adam Klein almost had this happen to him too. 
and he was able to recover, obviously. Um, but some of those players, they just get so in their head that, oh, my God, I'm actually on Survivor. And they're like a kid on Christmas. They don't know what to do next. But but no, Max, Max had potential. He's a very smart guy. You know, I've listened to him. He had a podcast with Corinne for a while. Um, so he, he knows the game. He, he's got a, he got a good personality. Um, but I think for me, there's enough guys that I would put over him where I don't think he'd make it. But again, I, I wouldn't be be upset if he came back ever. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we got, we probably got a lot of the same people there. I was surprised of the, you know, of the few people that they'd have brought back so far that Haley was one of them. I shouldn't leave a super strong impression on me. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously Joe was going to come back. He's come back twice now. Yeah. But then Sierra and Haley, they, yeah. Well, but Hey, good for them. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So next season, our 29th ranked season, season two, 2001's Australian Outback, won by Tina Wesson. My 27th ranked season, Jared's 28th. And funny timing as we're talking about Survivor shortening the game. This one, for whatever reason, they extended the game. 42 days was this one. Didn't really do anything to, to add to the season, though. It was just kind of there. Didn't increase the cast, but it went right back to 39 after that, so... Just a little fun fact in Survivor history. Now, for me, obviously with my ranking, I'm not a huge fan of, of Australian. It's got a pretty good cast at the top, at least. I think half maybe has already co- has come back at least once to play. Um, and a couple have come back a couple times. And the biggest thing for me, though, is they proved that they could do it again, that Borneo wasn't a fluke. I think that was probably the biggest thing that, that Survivor had to do is it had this phenomenon with their first season. And there are obviously going to be huge expectations to follow that up with another good season. And they didn't need to blow it out of the water, which they didn't. There was maybe a couple strategic improvements or advancements, but really nothing that elevated or shifted the game in huge ways, but it, it proved that they, that they had a formula. They knew what they were doing. They knew they could get good cast and get, let the characters kind of evolve amongst themselves, get some good challenges and kind of let the show be what it is. And it proved that they they had something. Obviously, not every season is going to be a hit, but it kind of cemented Survivor as, as a thing to stay. Yeah, my my big picture takeaway from watching Australian Outback, um, like right after Borneo, just when I was kind of my my initial binge, was how much better everyone played the game after seeing a season of it and it was um you know like there everyone kind of saw what richard did um the first time through and and realized that you had to work with people and it wasn't just we're all hanging out here for a month and um you know one of us is going to come out of here with a million dollars it was there's a little more competition, a little more strategy, more thought that went into it. So it was nice to see the game evolve that quickly. Um, so that's that's probably what I would say was my most memorable thing about it. Yeah, I think from a and obviously there's the maybe the guy who shouldn't be named who falls into the fire is the first medevac, and turns out maybe he he kind of deserved it. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you to look that up. If you're somehow unfamiliar with that, if you're listening to this, you probably aren't, but just on the off chance you are. Um, his hands but, are fine though. Now they're fine. So yes. we don't it's, have to worry about his that. His hands are fine. 
And um, maybe the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me, aside from the, the beef jerky accusation and the Kimmy Alicia fight, both, both great moments, was from a strategy standpoint, what's become known as the Onion Alliance. You know, it's got a larger alliance with or a smaller alliance as a part of a larger alliance. So there was Tina, Colby, and Keith together as an alliance of three, also looping in Amber and Jerry as their larger alliance of five. And that's been used a handful of times, pretty much standard now. You know, you've everyone knows you've got your larger alliance and then you've got your your core alliance within that. But this was kind of the this was the first time that it happened. And that was that was really the the biggest lasting thing from a strategy standpoint that it's always impressive when something like that can stand the test of time, you know, 19 years later and still be in the game. But again, you know, not every season is going to revolutionize something, but, but that was the one thing that stuck out to me as, as kind of changing the game or advancing the game from Borneo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, man, I, it could just be that, that Borneo for me was like, watching that after some of the most recent seasons my <laughs> mind was just kind of blown at how the game was played so mm-hmm. it, it became more recognizable to me for sure in the second season so um yeah i i mean we're still in the bottom half here but i definitely um i i remember australian outback fondly yeah that's a good way to put it and i think for second chance players for me Anyone that I would want to see again has already come back. I can't can't think of any or find anyone on the, those who haven't played again that I would kind of champion for. I think for one-time players, they, they've, they've got their worth out of, out of the season, I think. Yeah, I, I'd probably agree with that. Um, It's, uh, man, just going through this list. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see, um, Anyone super memorable? I think probably the like Roger and Elizabeth would be the two that were, you know, left the strongest impression that we've never seen again. But um, I don't think now is really the time to bring either of them back. Um, I I will say like what what we probably won't get to see again. We talked about this with Africa a little bit. Is um, the venue. And, and just like the complete difference in, yep. you know, where they were, there was fires and floods and just anything that you can imagine um, thrown at them that they all had to make it through too. So watching a lot of them come back for their second, second season um, was nice, not getting to see them more from like a gameplay perspective rather than um, just what, are we doing out here and what's the next disaster? Yeah. Those first few really focused on the survive aspect of, of the show. And they realized before too long that that's not what's going to hook viewers in is watching people depleted of energy, struggling <laughs> to just do anything. But yeah, season 41, there was talk that this would have been the time to change it up. If there ever was a time, even if it was just for one or two seasons, but they're dead set on Fiji. I can't complain about that. But it would, it would be kind of fun to see once or twice uh, a new location just for sake of, sake of something different. But all right, our 28th ranked season, our to, to date, the biggest split we have, my 36th ranked season, Jared's 18th ranked season. So not that he has it super high, but top half, higher than most people probably have this one. 
season 24, One World. Won by the goddess herself, Kim Spradlin. And Jared, you've got it higher than a lot of Survivor fans would. So I'll let you start on this one. I thought there was just whether it's smaller stories throughout the whole season, um, just to keep you invested or, you know, I, I actually like the cast more than a lot of people did too. And, um, you know, guys versus girls was, uh, and they were living on the same beach, right? Is That's that, right. Yep. Okay. Um, so you kind of got to see some different strategic moves come into play there. Um, yeah. And, uh, all in all, like with, with Kim running the show, um, to me, it, it was still compelling, even though there was such a dominating performance and, um, yeah, I really like, I, I don't have much to complain about with this season and on top of it, um, you know, like they have had a decent amount of people come back and um, I think there could be more too, but um, yeah, I don't, I, I guess I won't say there's anything super specific that put it up that high for me, but um, you do have like one of the, the guys tribe just opting to go to tribal council uh, one episode. So that was something we had never seen before. Um you got you got Tarzan and Troyzan on the same season. I have no idea how you end up with that, but <laughs> you do. Um, you have, yeah, just like this super strong alliance of Chelsea, Sabrina, Kim that that rides it out all the way to the end. You have Alicia who's kind of an instigator. Um, you know, Bill. Like I thought, there was some some interesting stuff. Uh, like involving him or he's only the fourth one out, but um, you know, usually those votes are kind of uneventful and um, that one definitely wasn't. You got Monica who obviously came back, played super well. Colton is the last one that I'm going to touch on. And um, I, I mean, for better or worse, mostly worse, worse, uh, <laughs> definitely worse. Um, he like you really can't talk about the season without mentioning him and just some of the the crazy stuff he tried to pull and um you know for me it doesn't really bump it down that much because of you know his presence or whatever you want to call it but um yeah i i overall i overall like the season put it right around mid-tier um and I'm, I'm curious to know why so many people do not like it. So I'm, I'm going to, I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> so obviously Kim is amazing. She saved the season for me. You know, anything good comes from basically her, Sabrina and Chelsea and mostly from Kim. And then Kat had some really good comedic moments as well. She's a, a hysterical character. Her and her cousin at their loved one's reward was something else um and i definitely enjoyed the rewatch more because i didn't have to stress over someone other than kim winning possibly um but i still don't think it's a very good season i don't like the cast as a whole the men's tribe especially 
was super unlikable, if not forgettable. I mean, Leaf, who I actually liked as a character, but maybe it's because he only got four confessionals. He didn't do enough to make me dislike him. Um, Troy Zan was, I liked Troy Zan a lot in Game Changers from a personality standpoint. He seemed to have kind of toned it down a little bit. He was way too much most of the time. Um, I think this is kind of, this next point is kind of, it epitomizes the level of strategy and gameplay. Early on, Matt from the guys tribe, obviously, he's in an alliance of four in a nine person tribe. And he had the exact quote, I'm in the dominant alliance. That's troublesome. Like, yeah, four is four out of nine is less than five out of nine. You're not in the dominant alliance. You're not, you know, you're not done by any means because it only takes one person, but it's, it's far from a dominant alliance. And that just kind of was how the guys played the game. Colton had some game skills, but he was just a bad person and not in a way like, like a Russell Hans where he's kind of so arrogant about it that it's kind of entertaining, but Colton was just like, he was just mean and just the attitude was, was not great. I mean, there's the tribal council where they're, they, they get into, into race somehow and they ask him if he, if he has, if he knows any black people and he goes, Oh Yeah. And, the, and, he, and Jeff goes, oh, who? He goes, my housekeeper. And it's just like that lack of self-awareness just kind of on top of everything else. I mean, when you basically dislike half the cast, that isn't a good start. Now, the end of the game was pretty much, was kind of saved because I do like Kim, Chelsea, and Sabrina quite a bit. So seeing them make it not just far, but to the end together was was satisfying and was probably what got it up to as high as 36 for me. Now you could probably make the argument that it could go to 35, 34, somewhere in there. For me, there's not a huge difference between those seasons. It's really kind of Island of the Idols and Thailand are easily the bottom two. And then that 38 up to 34 or so somewhere in there, there can be a lot of, lot of interchanging and not, not a lot of difference there, but there, other than Kim, there wasn't a ton of, of strategy. Not, uh, I guess not a ton of good strategy is maybe the better way to put it. And when my biggest thing being the cast doesn't work. And then the next thing, the strategy isn't quite there. It's just kind of, kind of a dud. And there were good moments like any season has. And, you know, it's not unwatchable by any means. So it, it's got its moments. It's got its got its good good aspects. Um, but yeah, the like you mentioned, the what was it when they choose to go to tribal? I I don't know why anybody does that. Even even if Bill said, "Oh, he just wants to go with he doesn't want to," or Leaf, whoever it was, said, "Oh, I I just didn't want to go against the tribes." Like, don't go to tribal council voluntarily. I don't well, care if it puts you on the outs. Do not choose to go when you are safe. Yeah, and I, I just thought the best part about that was they they went to tribal to send Leaf home, and then they didn't send him home. So they they pretty much blew up their own plan when they didn't even need to get rid of anyone. Yeah, yeah that 
no, like that just that just frustrated me to no end. On this, in the grand scheme of things, it's not one of my favorites. Fair, fair. Anything else to add as we get to our second chance players? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, the the only other thing that I was going to touch on was just the interactions between the guys' camp and the girls' camp. Um, you know, like trying to steal fire and, uh, you know, having Colton kind of going over and strategizing with the girls like openly when uh, he's still technically on the guy's tribe and has to go to tribal with that side. Yeah, so. I, I do like the the one world idea. I do like that. And I think with a, with a better cast, it could work really, really well. But for, for me, again, the cast just didn't work on this one. I don't think it would have even on a traditional season. But I, I wouldn't be opposed to them giving this another shot at some point. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Wouldn't even have to be men versus women necessarily, and that adds an, an extra dynamic to it. But just having them on the same beach, I think, would be be fun to see. Not you know another time here. Yeah. All right. For, for my second chance, um, Chelsea and Sabrina for sure. I could maybe go with Alicia just because she's going to stir the pot a little bit. She's going to cause some drama. You need someone like that. She was so arrogant, especially at the end. Just you, confidently you, wrong. Just, confidently wrong it's a great yeah. great way to put it that's always fun um so i'd say chelsea sabrina alicia i'm good on the guys troy's end came back once he may would have been the only one but the entire guys tribe i can just forget and not feel too bad about it okay i'll go uh for me i i kind of like jonas i think he had a little bit of fire to him um it was fun to watch him cook things too so <laughs> uh there is that um, you know, I, I'm not gonna bring Tarzan back, but he had some pretty outrageous, uh, quotes. Uh, most importantly, the game is afoot. Yeah, but, that, that wore on me quickly, but I, if, yeah. if, if you're someone who likes the season more like you do, I can see where that'd be a nice little treat. Yeah. Cause you just, I mean, you know who you're going to get your strategy talk out of, you know, who is maybe not playing the best game and uh as long as you accept that then when tarzan refuses to participate in tribal council a little more little more enjoyable <laughs> um but yeah i i'd bring alicia back i i wouldn't hate that um and then uh i i well i don't know i i'll go 50 50 on alicia didn't i'd say she was on the very border of bullying. Um, well, she if, did. She is a special ed teacher and did compare Kat or Christina to one of her students. That, so, so that's that, not that's, good either. That's not great. Yeah. Um, so then I'll, I'll get on board with you with uh, Chelsea and Sabrina too. And um, yeah, so I guess the only guy we differ on there is, is Jonas just because, um, and he made a decent way through the game first jury member uh people might not remember him super well but i think he'd, he'd be mixing it up pretty good if he came back all right well that'll bring us to our 27th ranked season one i am excited and not excited at all to, t- to talk about my 31st ranked season jared's 22nd <sighs> season, season 38 
the edge of extinction. Do you want to start here? Or do you want me to go off on it first? Well, I'll let you take the reins on this one and I'll come in for the save. Okay. First of all, I don't like to swear a lot on this podcast, but fuck the edge. Honestly, it's, I, I do think it's the single worst creative decision the show has ever made. First, as I think Chrissy Hoffbeck was the first to point out, at least publicly, it was obviously just a test run for winners at war. They knew they needed a way to keep those high profile players or hook them into the idea. You know, if they got voted off first, it wouldn't be worth their time. So giving them a chance to come back into the game or stay or stay on, on air, get their screen time, whatever it might be. This was their, their compromise there. But Many, many issues with the edge and, and its function. One of the biggest ones is the players didn't know about it. At least with Redemption Island, the players knew that when you vote someone off, they're not out of the game, out of the game. And there was the chance for them to come back in. And that can vastly affect your strategy you know, in who you vote out and when and why. The players had no idea about it. And my thing with anything where someone, you know, Redemption Island, the stupid outcast twist, um, Edge of Extinction, if you stop it at the merge, I can live with it. Because then they're in the game at the merge. They can play, you know, half the game, whatever it might be, with the jury. Don't like it, but I'm okay with it. And when you don't do that, and you bring someone in so late in the game, and then load them up with advantages... I mean, it's you've got to make them survive one or two tribals peer if you want. They win immunity, that's one thing, but you give them an idol. You, I mean, it's you can't they can't come in the game back into the game that late with so much power. Obviously, they're going to be an early target or an immediate target when they come back in. Make them earn it, make them earn it. Everyone else has to earn it, make them earn it too. The edge, as many people who have pointed out, it removes the signature moment of the game, the vote off. You're voting these people out that you, you also need their vote for you to win $1 million and win the game. It, it completely neuters that aspect of it because Chris, he goes to the edge on day eight, comes back on day 35, I think. And that entire time, what was he doing? He was feeding and hanging out with and bonding with and making friends with everybody who was going to end up on the jury. And they were giving him information. They were giving him advice. There was a point, I think it was Wardog. I can't remember if it was in the season or after. He said, we told Chris, if you want to win, do these things. And then Chris did those things. The survivor is not a fair game. That's part of it. But this... This went too far because he had information that nobody else could have ever even dreamed of having. Gavin didn't get voted off. He only had maybe a couple, if even that, votes against him in the entire game. He made it through on a classic traditional game, and obviously you can't fault Chris for the, for the season he was on. You can only fault production and the twist and, and how they used it. And with that, it created two separate games. 
it created the what I'm going to call the real game where you're on the island, which everyone had a chance, an equal chance to play. And then you have the players who messed up, played a bad game, get voted out, and they get to play their own game separate from what I'm going to call the better players who are still in the game. You, you can't have that. Survivor, there has to be a limit to what they can change on the show. And doing something like this went past that line for me. And it also, where, let's see, where do I want to go next? With the two separate games like that, it was an editing mess because you got to focus on the on the island players, the real game players, while also looping in the Edge of Extinction while not making it obvious that whoever came back was going to win or go far in when they came back and not make it obvious who that player was. So you've got to show basically everyone on, on the edge, which is a lot of people, which sacrifices the actual strategy at play in the real game. And yes, we got Reem. Thank God for Reem. The queen of the edge never would have would have had had her amazing showing without the edge. But, you know, you, something can be bad and still provide good things. You know, look at the edge on Winners at War with Ethan. Some of those moments, great moments. I still would prefer not to have the edge. And people talk about Chris's big moves when he came back in. But those decisions were made for him. The only way he could win was to do A, B, and C. So he had to do A, B, and C. He wasn't a choice of doing this or that. He had to convince someone to play the idol. He had to go, to use his idol. He had to go into fire. There was no, like Dom and Wendell in Ghost Island. Dom going to fire himself, that would have been a big decision to make. That would have been an iconic moment. Chris had no choice. If he hadn't done it himself, he would have lost. He had to do that. So yes, they were big moves and he executed them to his credit, but there was really no strategic decision-making behind it because he had no choice if he wanted to win the game. Yep. Uh, you know, I've, I'll let you keep going if you want, if you, if you got more, uh, more points to share, I, I can come in, you know, I've got a few more on the season, but on the edge, that's, those are the notes I had. Okay. Um, I'll chip in a little bit then. So my, what was most frustrating to me was that there was two players that played the best games. There was Gavin who played the best game within just the people who never got voted out. He was, he was a stud socially, um, you know, held his own in the challenges and um, I, I think it, it's hard to argue that anyone played within, like you said, the traditional rules of the game better than Gavin did. The edge player that played the best game was Rick Devins. So I don't know where Chris really comes into play there, but he's not either of those two people <laughs> and he ended up winning. So I, I don't really know what to do with that. And as I was watching it and, and watching him win, just like the, the tension in my body was a little overwhelming just because it's like, how do you process someone who got voted out on day eight and, and really played about 
a week and a half of Survivor. Yep. Just winning the show. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I know people made the argument that in the context of this season, he played the game for 39 days. But like I said, it creates two separate games and that you can't, it's hard to value one over the other because they're both in the same competition. But everyone had an equal shot to play the, I guess we'll call it the traditional normal game. Only the players who made mistakes got to play the edge game. Yep. So he did that better than Gavin though. This is true. Made mistakes. So, you know, add that to the resume. (laughs) That, That was one thing in the final tribal that really got to me. Gavin tried to take credit for rightfully so for not getting voted out and playing a good survivor game. And then, then they, and then I think it was war dog called him out. It was like, Oh, well that's, you know, that's not this season. And then they gave credit to Chris for playing the good edge game, which Gavin had no chance to play. And just like, okay, that's when I knew Chris was going to win. As soon as that comment was made, like, okay, well this, this is stupid. Also the jury is way too big. You cannot <laughs> have that many people. on. It's even worse than winners at war. 16 people. Yeah. That's, that's the other thing that, some of these people, so like um, I was reading some other other reviews the other night, and Chris hadn't even met. I can't remember who it was it, Gavin and I think Julie until like day thirty six or something like that. Like they were introducing themselves to each other. If that if you don't see a fundamental flaw in that, you're not looking closely enough. Well, I saw the flaw, and uh, <laughs> you know, I I didn't like it. So I will say uh, what, when you said the jury is too big, I, that's one of the things that sticks out to me about this season is just the ridiculous looking jury. Like just, just in terms of, you know, aesthetics, when Jeff Probst pans over there and it, it looks like we're at WrestleMania with, all the fans in the seats. I <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, I don't even know what show I'm watching anymore. That's how many people are sitting over there. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, this is maybe the one time that internet bullying worked because there was the, the end, the edge of extinction hashtag going along, going on strong on, on Twitter spearheaded by the great Josh Wiggler and Shannon Gus. And they put out some great pieces among others about why the edge was terrible for survivor steven fishback wrote a piece about it luckily jeff he he caved whatever you want to call it and to the benefit of the show i think most people will agree and but he he honestly seemed shocked that reaction was as strong and negative as it was well yeah i i guess if you're in it and they're your decisions then it's tougher to see that they would not be good but (laughs) um i'm i i'm glad if he was open enough to take the feedback that not everyone liked it and one one last thing which you know of course i've got one more thing to rag on it on is it had the four returning players so that um david david wright aubrey wentworth and and joe joe anglum there was such a strong focus on those four early on that even in a normal season, you wouldn't have had much of a chance to, to 
meet the the rest of the the tribe, rest rest of the players, and then you and then when you split them off into two, sometimes three tribes and the edge, and you're focusing on those four people, it it was kind of a nightmare in terms of getting to know players for the first like half or so of the season. A lot could have been done better, but I don't. I, I think that part was not something that I am going to take up much issue with. Um, the biggest thing on that front for me is, is specifically Victoria because she was lauded by the other players. And so she's going to win the game. She's the biggest threat. She's the best player. But we never really saw anything in the game that would lead the viewers to believe that. So, you know, maybe that was just a perception, you know, how – Every season has, oh, she's like poverty. And, you know, no one's like poverty. Poverty is one of a kind for many reasons. But if there was there something that we missed in the edit that was on the cutting room floor because of the time they needed on the edge or the time they wanted to give to David that would have showcased her as the true threat that she was? And if we missed out on that because of those, then it just makes it all, makes it all the worse for me. Yeah. Um, I Watching the season the first time through, I, I'm a huge Victoria fan, which we can get to um, in a few minutes here. But I thought she was on the same level as Gavin was um, just in terms of how they had been playing the game. And we both talked about what a good game Gavin played. So I I don't know if it's if it's necessarily completely unnoticed how strongly she was playing, but yeah, it did seem kind of weird to hear everyone saying that, you know, you got to get her out. If... Well, I guess maybe to the level that she was being praised. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't see anything that, that showcased that to that extent, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and big here's... fan of her too. Big fan. Yeah. And um, I'll, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to give my final thoughts here before we get into the, second chance portion of it but um you said this is my 22nd ranked season correct that's what i wrote down yes and that sounds right to me um (laughs) because i hated the edge and i loved so many other things about this season where i wanted it to balance out to be somewhere in the middle um I thought the cast was phenomenal. Like it's one of the, the best recent casts that I can remember. Um, There was just all kinds of gameplay happening. There was live tribals um, like tribe swaps. You had the whole thing where this, the one tribe ended up all on the same tribe uh, after they had, made the change they couldn't win a thing um like and then on top of that you have devon's coming back into the game and it just became the rick devon's show post merge um you know for one player kind of dominating the storyline i thought it was super enjoyable and um you know you got like julia kind of blowing up her own game at one of those tribals um it was just like so many memorable things and i wish that it could have ended stronger than it did because um 
I, I think it could definitely be regarded as one of the better seasons that they've done, if not for everything that was happening outside of the main game. Yes. And, and like, like you mentioned with Devins, what it seems to be is that however much you enjoyed the season rode on how much you enjoyed Rick Devins because he was the star by the end of that. And there's no question and deservedly. So he was entertaining. He was funny. He was strategic. He was winning challenges, fake idols, fake idols. You know, he, he had it all. And I can see where some people would, would think or complain that, Oh, he's getting too much time or we've seen enough of him for for the whole season. And that might take, you know, take away from the season as a whole. But for anyone like you and I who love him, he's one of my favorite recent players, just probably one of my favorite just players. That it saved the season for me, I would say, just the, making it the Rick Devon show. Yeah, we can get into uh, some of our other favorites too here. Uh, if we're going over the second chance, yeah. but I, I don't know if you have any other, other stuff, general uh, observations from the season you haven't said yet. Um. I'm I'm good from here on out on Joe Anglum. I've I've seen enough. This was his third time. Yep. I'm I'm good with him. Um there was which don't I don't really want to get into it here, but there was some stuff on the island that didn't get shown, you know, with with him and some say racially charged language that was used in the context of like a movie quote game, but he still said the actual word. You can probably assume what word I'm referring to. And it turned out, so he used it a couple times, I think is how it goes. And then was the it, tribe uh, actually had a really like good talk about it. Um, I think kind of led by Julia and Ron, actually. And none of that got shown. And as we saw on Island of the Idols with some of the Jamal moments, if you can show those really you know poignant discussions, it can make for good TV. And some argue that Island went maybe a little too much in that direction. I thought it was okay, but it seemed like they were trying to hide it probably because of how much they love Joe at in survivor. You know, he's kind of their golden boy, but you know, hearing that and then won't get into some of his other off island stuff, but I'm done with Joe. I'm good with him, but that was another missed chance where they could have salvaged and gotten a really kind of strong, emotional, important discussion on the show, which, which survivor allows for, which is part of the, one of the unique aspects of it, but it, it was kind of disappointing in production and how they handled that just kind of brushing down the rug, I guess. But um, I would take David again. I take Aubrey again. I take Wentworth again. They, they're all, they're all great. Um, but yeah, we can get into second chance unless you got anything else quick. Nope. We're good. All right. Um, so obviously Devin's and Victoria, we agree on hundred um, percent. I would take Reem, of course, um, I'd love to see her again. You know, she's so entertaining. I would hope she wouldn't be the the first boot again. Um, I know more... you love Wendy. Here I was trying to go in the entire time without talking about Big Wendy. <laughs> okay, but, man. we we mentioned her. Now we can move on. When you intentionally release chickens, you're just, you just don't want to win the game. That's that's all. Um, but she yeah. became a vegetarian like eight days before that. And then she got voted out and said, I'm having a hamburger. So, so there's that too. Anyway, um, Gavin, I would say yes to, I would say yes to Lauren. I think she showed, showed some potential uh, Ron and, and Aurora. I would say yes to Julia. Um, I, I think, I think she has some potential there. Um, and I, 
absolutely war dog. He's entertaining. And I've never seen someone appear so athletic be so bad at challenges. Some of those throwing challenges had me rolling. Absolutely hysterical. And he he's a he's a great narrator, great character. Yes to War Dog a million times over. He's like a significantly less savvy Tony Vlacos. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good way to put it. He could also use a pitching coach, but I'll get into some of my characters, um, my contestants that I really loved. So yeah, Devin's agreed. Lauren, um, I I could I could definitely have her back. Uh, Victoria for sure. Even, I could uh, pretty much anyone from this list really like. I thought Ron was good um, for a lot of the time. Uh, he he got you know blindsided a couple times um, <laughs> thinking he was running the game, which was, which is always great. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I love war dog. I cannot get enough war dog cannot get enough Wentworth. Um, yeah. With you on Julia. I think that she's definitely got, uh, got the guts to make some big choices, um, big moves. So yeah, and and then Reem, I'm I'm there with you too on Reem. I worry, you know, we saw with um, Francesqua that <laughs> if you get voted out first on your first time, you are automatically a target to be voted out first your second time. So I hope that that would not be the case, but um, I fear that it would be. I feel like she might play bet. She might fare better on a returning season. She could, but hey, if you if you just give the people you're playing with a reason to get rid of you, that's all you need. But hey, one episode of Reem is better than no episode. It of is, Reem. it is. And if she's the first one out, we got our money's worth. I would bet so. All right, so I got one more season to go over tonight here. Number twenty six, another decent split, a thirteen um, point swing. My nineteenth. Jared's 32nd, the one that started it all, Survivor Borneo, season one, Richard Hatch, of course, the Hatch man, the only one who knew how to play strategically. And this one, this is a tough one for me to rate. I could, I could see and accept from other people's rankings and have a hard time arguing anywhere, and I mean this sincerely, from one to 40 anywhere in there. I, I, you can make the argument for it. So Dalton Ross, the great Dalton Ross from entertainment weekly cover survivor for them has since the beginning, he has Borneo and Micronesia tied as his top seasons. And his reasoning makes sense. Borneo was a literal game changer in reality TV. There's been nothing, there was nothing like it before, nothing, nothing like it since, you know, some similar shows, Amazing Race, The Challenge and whatnot, but it's still unique, one of one. And th- there is no winners at war without Borneo. And the historical precedence, the importance of the season, if that ranks high for you in terms of where you put the season, that makes sense. And on the flip side, it's slow. A lot of times it's pretty boring. There's no challenge narration from props. Not that there was a ton 
in the early seasons anyway, but there was, I think, none in this one. Um, there was no one really knew how to play the game. And that was kind of to be expected since it was the first of its kind. But outside of outside of Hatch, there was no real strategy outside of the alphabet strategy, which we'll probably get to, but that's a great moment in point in its favor. Um, there was the the Pagonging after the merge, which is a you know a phrase that still rings true even to this day. And so it was kind of a little boring at that point because you kind of knew who was going to go home. But at the end of the day, it's season one of Survivor. The, the importance of it and what it did to change the reality TV landscape and specifically what it set in motion for this amazing show that we and millions of other people still love to this day. I had a really, really hard time settling on a spot for it. At one point, I had it number 10, you know, a ceremonial top 10 spot. And I had it in kind of the low 20s. And then 19 just felt right based on the other seasons. You know, this one, more so than maybe any other season, could change a, change a bunch. But I don't know that, I, that I'd rush to rewatch it. But I got to respect it. And at least Richard Hatch won. It would have been really disappointing if really anybody else Oh, hey, 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 Rudy. Thank you. No, there were other good players, you know, Colleen and, and Greg and Jenna and Jervis who, and, you know, even, even Sue Hawk, you know, who I like, but, but Richard Hatch, he, he played the game and you can make the argument that him winning the season had as much of an effect on survivor surviving as, as anything else. But yeah, this is a tough one. You got a little lower probably for a lot of the obvious reasons, but I'll let you take it from there. I ranked it just as more of a, you know, within the context of all the other seasons. So I didn't take too much of the, where does it rank in the history of reality TV and what role did it play and Richard winning? What did that do for the series? It was more just a glance at, you know, at the aspects of the game that I find entertaining, um, sure. where does this fit in with all the other ones? And I, I gave it a few sentimental points um, just, just because it, you know, it's like, Oh, this is the first time this happened. This is the first time this happened. You got, you know, the food challenges, just a bunch of stuff that we're still used to seeing. And um that that bumped it up a few notches for me i did probably the strongest point of it for me other than the sentimental value is the cast i i know they brought back several noteworthy players since then um and i i thought they did a pretty good job casting it the first time that they ever did the show so um good job by them there as far as gameplay goes uh i think i i think i wrote in my notes it's something along the lines of it wasn't just that there was no strategy at times it seemed like people were actively trying to lose the game <laughs> they, they were so wary or of just voting people out of the game which is the thing they said they signed up to do and I remember there was one quote. They were talking about the possibility of of an alliance existing, just in general, and how that was deemed like a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And 
We and suspect I, there may be two people voting the same way. Intentionally. On purpose. Yeah. I mean, that's no better exemplified than at the first, <laughs> the first merged tribal council <laughs> where seven people get votes. Or Love it. I get, get a vote. I think it's four and like one, 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 I believe. But it just puts it right out there as to as to where the strategy was at it makes sense but it's it's no less funny yeah man there's just some if you watch the later seasons first there's some unbelievable things that happen in this season that yeah, you just got to appreciate how many of the older or how many seasons had you watched before you watched borneo i well i watched it the first time it was on 20 years ago and mm-hmm. then since then I picked up at about the halfway point in 35, which is heroes versus healers versus hustlers. And I had watched through edge of extinction. And then I went back and started all over again. So I got, that'd be quite the shock. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Go within, within three seasons, you've seen David versus Goliath and Borneo and it's <laughs> not the same show. No. Yeah. Cause I'd watched worlds apart. And then I think I, w- I went back and watched Borneo at that point. No, no, I didn't. I didn't actually, now that I think about it, I skipped it cause I'd seen it once. So I made the interesting decision to watch that at the end to try to get through everything new even though it would have been effectively new. So I watched probably 25 to 30 seasons and then went back and watched Borneo. And I was like, oh, oh, I should have watched this first. I I should have started with this one. It gives you a different perspective, though. It absolutely does. Absolutely does. But, I mean, it's, again, you got to be thankful for it. If nothing else, we wouldn't have the show, we wouldn't have this podcast, we wouldn't have the great talks we've had outside of this without Borneo. And if it wasn't the massive success that it was and maybe wouldn't have lasted past 2000. Yeah. I, you know, as much as I don't enjoy certain parts of it or, you know, get annoyed by certain parts, I could not be more thankful that it worked out as well as it did. Yep. Coast on that a hundred percent. And one, one thing I, one thing I want to add quick yeah. um, is really like what got me hooked back on survivor, even from this episode was Richard and Rudy. And I, when you were saying, you know, no one else deserved to win other than Richard, I, I understand what you're saying there. Um, it, it's Rudy just would have been a fun winner. Rudy is from season one has stayed in my top five characters to ever be on the show. And <laughs> RIP, what, what a guy. Um, he's so many he had so many great moments, him working with Richard as like the most unlikely Alliance of all time. And was... and both of them actively recognizing that as yep. well. It just made, just made it even better. Yep. Great for the show. You could, you could not put a guy like Rudy on TV today and feel comfortable with no. it. No. Um, you also couldn't have hatch getting naked. You also could not do that. Um, but I think that like, even with that said, I really I think that Rudy was a good guy and it was just the times that were completely different than they are right now. Yep. And not always a valid excuse, but I think for Rudy, 
And for people like that, you know, he, he was who he was and. Yeah. He, I mean, he came in willing to work with anyone that wanted to work with him. And that turns out to still be one of the best strategies that you can use in the game. Yeah. hundred, 100% on that one. All right. So Borneo's had a few people come back. Um, but a few notable players have not come back that I still would like to see. I would take Greg again, and I think maybe one of the most requested second chance players, maybe this person and and maybe Shane from Panama, Colleen. Colleen Haskell. Let's do it. Let's get her back on the show. I think the survivor fandom would lose its collective mind if it was announced that Colleen was coming back for another season. I would be part of that. <laughs> I I can't think of anybody I know who watches the show that would not be happy to see Colleen back and playing again. Yeah, if you if you have the historical perspective of what Colleen was in this game, a hundred percent, you would be on board with it, without a doubt. Anybody else for you to add to that second chance list? I really like those two. Mm, maybe Sean. And I'll stop there. That's fair. And then for the players who've already played again, um, I would take Jervis again. He, he's, he's a good personality, good character. I would say yes to Jenna Lewis. I, I rewatched All-Stars recently. She was a lot of fun there. Um, I think she'd be good. And I'm I'm personally set on Hatch, Kelly, and Sue. I don't know that the game is rushing to bring Hatch back these days, but but I, I've had my fill of, of those three, I think. Yeah. I I think I'm I'm good with Jervis after seeing Blood versus Water. If you could give him like a, a cameo just in a food eating challenge, uh, that would be great. <laughs> Love watching him in food eating challenges. There's no one better. Um so that's one way to put it. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> yeah. No one more memorable. Uh, so yeah, I I'm good with, with just Greg and Colleen, probably maybe Sean um, to see if he still, you know, sticks with the tried and true alphabet strategy. All right. Well, that'll, that'll finish off Borneo and that'll finish off our five seasons for this week. And if we're watching the time here, and we said this every time we're trying to just prepare that if we do need to cut um, and split it up that I bet that's going to happen. Just something to be on the watch for. And it's probably going to happen in the middle of an episode where we'll just say, Oh, that's three. That's good for this week. We'll finish off the next two next time. Um, shouldn't be too much of an, of an effect on the overall show, but just something to be listening for as we go through here. And so we'll still announce the next plan five, for for next week we'll have season 10 palau season 12 panama season 22 redemption island season 25 philippines and season 29 san juan del sur and within those five we do have our biggest difference of the series and depending on which one it is and how long we go in the other seasons we might get to next week might be the week after but there's a season with a 22 season spread and another 18, just for good measure, which is tied for the third biggest. There's a 20, 20 difference still swimming out there in the ocean somewhere. 
but that'll be fun. Um, now we're really getting into the into the meat of, of the show. More good than bad, I think, is probably going to be the the trending theme on the on the season the rest of the way. And really looking forward to this. You know, we've been able to have a lot of fun, a lot of good talk on some of the lower seasons that should only only increase here as we get into the better seasons. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Llama Talk Pod, at Instagram at Talking Llama Pod. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, anywhere you listen, we are there. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you prefer to listen, you can find us anywhere. For Jared Sundin, this is Matt Hambidge. We'll see you next time for another Scoop of the Crispy. Mm-hmm.